So before I start this morning, I'll tell you uh, where we're going the next two weeks, because the next two weeks are our run-up to Christmas. So next week, we're, we're starting uh, two weeks of messages called Reasons for the Season. Not the reason for the season, but reasons for the season. And we're going to be looking at the reasons why Jesus came. You know, uh, I've been seeing decorations, Christmas decorations in shops and things ever since I got back from my summer holidays. I know we had a late summer holiday, but it gets earlier every year, doesn't it? And it's, But Jesus came for a reason, and that's what we're going to be talking about. But before I do that, I'm going to do the second part of where I touched on last week. Um, because Cheryl said, and, and she said it in the life group that we went to this week, that I left you all on a cliffhanger. So this is the answer to the cliffhanger. Okay, so I told you about spiritual disciplines, but I didn't actually tell you what they were. And uh, so that's what we're going to be covering this morning. And uh, I'm going to be talking about this morning. Now, as I was thinking about this, one of the things that, that came into my head is... Um, a few years ago now, so for my 50th birthday, I decided that what would be a really great idea was that I would learn guitar, and then I could play on the worship team, yeah? And um, initially, I was, I was learning guitar, and um, Sarah Green was teaching me, but for all sorts of reasons, can't, can't remember what they were at the time, but Sarah... Uh, wasn't able to carry on with that teaching. And I got another guitar teacher. And one of the things is that I was doing great, but then when you try and get to this point where you're coordinating the chords and learning strumming patterns, I had a real problem with that, getting the two together. And it can be like that kind of with uh, our walk as believers in that we, we kind of know what we want to do, and we can see the end result. You see, I could see the end result. So I had in mind, one year, I'm going to be playing guitar like Jimmy Page or, or somebody like that, you know, one of these great guitarists, and, and, and it never happened. And it can be like that with lots of things, can't it? It can be like that when you go to the gym, and you decide, like, it's good for me. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to get fit. And you walk in the gym, and there's all these guys, big, hefty guys, and they're using all these machines, and pressing buttons for all these electronic machines that measure everything. And if you don't know what you're doing, it's really hard to start. And it's really hard to keep going. And so it becomes a deterrent. It becomes a deterrent to starting. It becomes a de deterrent to practicing. And the same is true about spiritual disciplines. I'm sure we're all going to get a deterrent in, in, at the start of New Year. You know that one where we decide that we need to go on a diet? And we all decide that, and yet, you know, we, we get frozen at that point where there's about 50 different diets, and everybody's done one of them and says that's the one you should do. And you go, but yeah, you put it all back on as well. And so we have to know what we're doing. And, and so that's why we need to understand these spiritual disciplines. And one of the things that... Uh, we're going to be working on in the, the coming year is putting in a, um, a way of understanding so that we can all grow. And these spiritual disciplines are really important to our growth. So why, why am I talking about this? Well, if you remember from last week, what, what we're talking about is we, we're wrestling with what it actually looks like to experience more of God. 
and how we can do that. How we can make room in our luggage, all that baggage of life, for God uh, to step in. And so we experience more of his peace, more of his power, more of his life, and more of his presence. That's what these things are there to do. These are biblical things. So I'm just going to remind you about what I was talking about last week, where, where, where we got to with the cliffhanger, okay? So if you remember, we, we kept the, the, the initial thing is that God will fill whatever space we make for him in our life. Because God wants to. He wants this relationship with you. That's why Jesus came. Jesus, yes, he came to pay for your sins, but most importantly, he came so that you could have a relationship that's real with him. And what's really important in this is that I'm not talking about spiritual life for people who are ultra mature. You know, we all know the, the, the spiritual person, don't we? Who, who you go like, I, I, I'd, I'd love to be like that, but I have no idea how I, I could ever be like that. They're so amazingly spiritual. God's just really gifted them, bless them. No, Christianity works for everybody and it's for everybody. And, and so Christianity is actually for ordinary people, not for super spiritual people. It, it, it can create super spiritual people, but it works for everybody. And we, and we learn to grow and we learn to experience more of God as we go along. And so one of the things that I talked about last week is you, you get people, and you know I've done it myself, where you have these amazing experiences of God at, at various points in your journey. And then you spend the, the next five years or the next 10 years trying to get a repeat of that, chasing that all over the place, trying to get another mountaintop moment. And when you read about the, the people in the Bible, that, that's really not the way they lived. They lived by inviting God into the ordinary every days of their life, by inviting him in when they were taking the kids to school, inviting him in when they were sat in the, the queue of traffic trying to get into Cambridge, inviting him in when they sat in McDonald's, inviting them in, him in when you, you, you're waiting at the playground, inviting him in when you're in a meeting at work or a meeting at university. So he's, he's there in every part of your life. So that's what these spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits, that's the point of them, is to invite God into your life and make room in those busy lives, those busy things that, that, that we all have in our life for him. So let's, I defined what a discipline is last week of a spiritual habit. So a discipline is any activity I can do by my own will, which will enable me to do that which I can't currently do. Any activity I can do by my own will, which will enable me to do that which I can't currently do. So we want to grow. We want to experience more of God's power, more of his life, more of his love, more of his presence in our life. Because that, that, that's, that's where the fun is. That's where the fulfillment is. That's where life makes sense. That's where life gets easier. And, and despite everything that's going on. So why by my own will? Well, we need to do these by our own will because we need to put ourselves in the path of God's grace. You see, when you were born again, you received the Holy Spirit. So we, we take decisions with our God-given will that allow us to engage with the Holy Spirit 
And he gives us the ability and the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding and the revelation to be able to then live it. He changes us from the inside out. But we need to engage with him. So these are activities which make room for us to experience more of God's transforming power in our life. So that they are not an end in themselves. They're a means to an end. And it's so that... We can live life and love others in the same way Jesus modeled and taught. So I'm going to um, pick up a couple of verses. And I, I'm, these, are, these are just the two verses I'm going to talk about this morning. So you, we're not going to go through, uh, thumbing through all over the place. So I'm in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I'm going to be in starting at verse 7. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7. This is what the Apostle Paul, writing to a young church leader, advising him on what's really important uh, for him to uh, lead people into in his church. And he says this, uh, and I'm starting in the second half of the verse. Train yourself towards godliness. Train yourself towards godliness. What he's saying there is, you actually have to engage in this activity of training yourself. So this isn't something that happens by osmosis. This isn't something that will ever happen by you coming to church once, on a, once a week on a Sunday morning. We, it, this is what you put into your life. You, you determine you're going to train yourself into godliness. And... Uh, The way we do that is we put in place these spiritual habits that lead us into God's way of life. And then we go on to verse 8. It says, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that, is na that now is and of that which is to come. And if you think about it, you know, it's easy to skim over verses like that. But that is just the most incredible verse. In that he's saying that, yeah, bodily exercise, going out training, playing rugby, whatever, running, jogging, couch to 5K, all those sort of things, they're good for you. But compared to being able to do this, where the value is for life, they can only do a certain amount. They can make you feel better or make you physically stronger. But these things, these spiritual habits, are good for all things, all areas of your life. And not just life in the here and now, but in the future as well. So what he's saying is there isn't a single area of your life where doing these won't add value. Right across your life, this will change your life if you do it for the better. They will always add value. That's what Paul's saying. If you do these things, they will always make your life better. I mean, how cool is that? Because who wants their life to be better? Okay, let's take... Okay, still asleep. Let's take a show of hands. Who wants their life to be worse? Trick... Well, I thought those that didn't put their hands up for better would go for worse. You know, I thought I'd wake them up. We all want our life to be better. And this is God's way of our life being better. 
And so the question then becomes, how do you train? How do you train yourself for godliness? What, what do you do? Now, that's where these spiritual habits come in. And uh, years ago, I read a book by a guy who some of you may have heard of, wrote an absolutely amazing book called The Divine Conspiracy, a guy called Dallas Willard. And uh, the Truth Questers read this book as part of their, their training. But he also wrote another book called, well, he wrote lots of books, but he wrote one called The Spirit of the Disciplines. I read this years ago. And, and basically, there's, quite, there's kind of a lot of these disciplines, but I'm just going to look at the main ones for us this morning. And they divide down into two categories. Disciplines or habits of engagement and disciplines or habits of abstinence. So engagement, um, that's when you, uh, your struggle is in not doing something you know you should be doing or you want to do. And abstinence is where you struggle is not being able to stop something you want to get out of your life. Does that make sense? So I'll, I'll start with these engagement ones first. So the, there's three of these you need to remember. Three of these I'm going to talk about. And then there's three of the abstinence ones I'm going to talk about. Because that's symmetrical. That's kind of how we work here this morning. Now, my goal in doing this this morning isn't to make anybody an expert in these things. Some of us, some of you guys, are already experts in some of these things. But my goal this morning is that wherever you are on your spiritual journey, whether you're thinking, well, I don't really know Jesus, but I'd like to know him better, or I've set out on my spiritual journey and I'm, I'm learning to grow, or I'm halfway along the track, or perhaps there's some bits I missed out. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey... My goal this morning is to give you one or two ideas you can go away and use to make your life better. And so those, to do that, those ideas or God's ideas in the Word, in, in Scripture, that he, he talks about, they're not just action points that get shelved, but the action points you can do because they're helpful, they're accessible, and you can do them. So the first one of these... No prize is for guessing the first spiritual habit because it's the one I talk about the most. Number one, no, that's number two, Roger. Number one, study the scripture. Study the scripture. Now, immediately you go, do I have to study the scripture? Okay, that's the heading, right? Because some of us have, study the scripture. Some of us love studying the scripture. Some of us find it really uh, deep. Some of us like to dig into the Greek. But for a lot of us, it sometimes feels like we can't really get going and, and we, 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 we kind of stop and we start and we do it for a bit and then we go again. And so the, the challenge is to really understand what we're trying to achieve by that idea of studying the scripture. So, let me put it this way. The goal of reading your Bible is not information. It's transformation. That's what we're after when we talk about studying the Scriptures. It's not information. It's transformation. 
Anybody can read the scriptures. The Pharisees read the scriptures and the Sadducees read the scriptures. They disagreed with each other and they both missed Jesus. So we're talking about transformation. And uh, this is how it works. Whatever enters your mind regularly will shape who you become. Whatever goes in your mind regularly will shape whoever you become. Whether you like it or not, you have been shaped this week. Whatever you've been taking in is shaping your mind, it's shaping your thinking. And the reason we, we anchor ourselves in the scriptures is we want to fill our heart and mind with truth that combats the lies we believe about ourselves we believe about God and we believe about our relationships. So we want to put that truth in. And, and the idea is to clean up our mind of wrong thinking, of unhelpful thinking and unloving thinking, and replace it with right thinking, right believing, and right seeing. That's, that's, why, we study, that's why we read the Bible. We don't read the Bible to memorize for information. We read it for transformation. Now, here's my second point on this. Studying the scriptures is about quality, not quantity. We really need to get that. So that can lift guilt from us because we're not getting through 10 chapters a day and getting through the Bible in six months from cover to cover. That's not the idea. The idea is you, you get changed and you see God differently and you live differently. The, okay, study. You, you set aside time, you sit down and you determine that you're going to look at the scriptures and think about them and understand them and apply what you've read to your life. Yeah? I don't mean you've got textbooks. So that's a good question, Roger. So the aim isn't to get through it all. Correct. I'm going to tell you in a minute. I'm going to answer that question. That's what I'm getting to. Okay. It's not to get through it all. It's to get it through us and in us. That's what it's about. So if you start reading, and you, and you might decide that what you're going to do is read a particular book. You've got as much time as it takes for that book to transform you. There's no pressure. You might decide that you're not the sort of person that can do that without some prompting. So you get yourself a little devotional that takes you through what, you know, a little reading for every day for 365 days. That's another way. You might decide, well, some people I know struggle with reading. Well, there's fantastic audio resources. And this is how I learn a lot of the Bible, listening to my car, driving back and forwards between Preston and Manchester. If you want one recommended, I'd recommend the David Suchet one. David Suchet, just reading the Bible. It's absolutely fantastic. And you can fast forward it and slow it back and, and do all that. If you don't like reading... So there really isn't kind of an excuse, except the excuse is we make for ourselves. So how do, you, how do you do this? So I want to give you some simple ideas. Here's the first one. 
Because what, what when, whenever you read, if you're reading like Jesus talking, doing a parable or Jesus, the story about Jesus doing a miracle or some of the guys in Acts, whenever you're reading something, this is what I'm interested in. What is it saying and how do I apply, I apply it? So when I, when I teach the guys on ToothQuest, one of the things that they, they need to learn to do in their preaches is, what do I want people to know and what do I want them to do with it? And it's the same when we look at the Bible. What is it saying? What, how, do I, you know, how do I apply it? So we ask ourselves questions. And so the, these are the kind of questions I ask. How does that, what I've just read, how does that affect my view of God? How does what I've just read affect the way I'm going to deal with my relationships? How does what I've just read affect the way I'm going to deal with my resources and finances? How does what I've just read change the way I think? So they're the questions that I sit down with and go through. Whatever past, I did this when I was 20 and I still do it now. I just, that's my starting point. And then the question then becomes, if you've got those questions, how do you set yourself up for success? Well, here's how you set, set yourself up for success. You need three things. You need a time, a place, and a plan. And you need to stick to them. So we, we have a time where we're going to do this. Each day, we have a time. Now, my time is in the morning. My time's always been in the morning. Even when I started work at half past six in the morning in Manchester and had driven 35 miles, my time was in the morning with God. So I would get up half an hour earlier, i.e. before five o'clock in the morning, to spend time with God and then drive into Manchester. Now, you go, well, I'm not prepared to do that. Well, then... That's the, that's the thing. We need to find a time. When are you prepared to find that room in your luggage, in the baggage of your life? Maybe it's uh, when you get home. Maybe it's your lunchtime. Maybe it's like in a coffee shop before you go into work. Maybe it's when you get home. What I would recommend, unless you're a crazy night owl like Charlie, is don't do it last thing at night. You will fall asleep. Guaranteed, you'll fall asleep. Cheryl's the only one I know that can stay awake and spend time with God at that time of night. But, you know, I, don't, I just fall asleep. And we are rhythmic beings, so we need to get habits in our life. And it's those habits that make us stronger and then those habits that change our life and make it better. Number two, prayer. Got there, Roger. Number two, prayer. This might be the one when immediately somebody says prayer that makes you feel most guilty. Because all of us, or most of us think our prayer life is rubbish. I just want to be like Joyce. Or I want to be like Olive. But my prayer life is rubbish, you know. I want to set you free from that guilt and give you a method that works for ordinary people. Okay? So, what is prayer? Prayer is simply talking to God. It's really, really simple. Prayer is simply talking to God. 
It's when you make space to listen to God. It's when you determine you're going to be honest with God. And it's creating that space to have him speak and give him permission to change your heart. So how do you pray? Dave Tom asking me the question. How do you pray? Where do you start? I'll give you a little method. This, this is my method. This is what I do. Um, but I stole it. I, I stole it off a, a famous guy, more famous for writing about lions and badgers and beavers and things, called C.S. Lewis. But he's also famous for writing some of the amazing Christian classics. And it's called Simple Prayer. Okay, so I... Being a simple bloke, I went for simple prayer. What's simple prayer? It's when we bring ourselves to God exactly as we are. When you bring yourself to God exactly as you are. You're not trying to impress God. You're not trying to get God to do something. You're not trying to speak beautiful language. You're not trying to sound like somebody out of a Dickens novel or out of, you know, William Shakespeare. C.S. Lewis, this is what he said. This is a fantastic quote. He said, pray what is in you, not what ought to be in you. Pray what is in you, not what ought to be in you. It's when you come to God with everything in your heart. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Because a lot of the problems we have in our prayer life is we, we hold back the ugly because the we don't want to deal with it. So we come to God with everything that's in our heart. And let, let me tell you this. Nothing will kill your prayer life faster than pretending to be somebody you aren't. Nothing will kill your prayer life faster. It, you, you might carry on praying, but they have no life to it. It won't be life-giving. And nothing will kill your prayer life faster than you pretending to care about something you don't actually care about. You know, you've got your list. I've got to pay for it. It's on my list today. I'm praying for Argentina. It's, it's reality of relationship with Jesus. That's what we're after in prayer. So what do I do before I pray in this simple prayer life? I ask myself three questions. The first question is this. How am I feeling? How am I feeling? The second question is, what's bothering me? What am I anxious about? And the third question is, what three things am I grateful for? So here's what I do. I, I sit there, and before I ever start praying, I write them down on a piece of paper. This is how I'm feeling. This is, this is what's going on in me. This is what's bothering me. This is what I'm anxious about. And these are the good things I see in my life. And then I tell God about it. And then I wait and listen and let him touch my heart. That's how I pray. Here's what the thing that I've noticed happen. As you practice this simple prayer, your interests, the things that you pray about, will grow and change as your picture of God's heart changes. 
So it's like a dynamic thing. The third of these engagement disciplines is giving. There is a reason, I think, why Jesus talks about money and possessions more than any other topic. I don't know if you know that, but in the Gospels, he talks about this more than anything else. And I think he does this because he understands that there are not many things that grab our attention and our affections and our energies like money and possessions. That's why he said, you can't serve two masters. You're either serving money, career, possessions, or you're serving God. Now, I need to say that God never ever says money is bad. In fact, he says it's a good thing. He says he delights in the prosperity of his children. So money's not a bad thing. It becomes a bad thing when it becomes Lord over your life. When it drives your decisions, when it drives your energies, when it drives your value systems, when it drives who you are, that's when it becomes a problem. When money becomes master over your time, and the means of getting money becomes master over your time, rather than Jesus being master over your time. Now God, we need to understand this, God doesn't want our money. He's not after your stuff. That's not his plan. He can put gold coins in fishies' mouths. He can pave heaven with gold. He's not after your stuff. He's after your heart. And money and possessions and all this stuff it is a problem for our hearts. There's something that, that is like a string that, is immovable that goes from your heart to your wallet or your purse. And wherever that goes and wherever that's, that, that grows, we follow it, we go after it. So giving in God's way has a purpose. And not just about funding kingdom things, but its primary purpose is about freeing you up from the tyranny of what's got hold of your heart. Now, here's the good thing about this. This is designed by God to set you free of some of the stuff that is exhausting you, tiring you out, worrying you, making you anxious. There is research all over the place. I looked on the internet. There's research all over the place done by non-Christians that says that generous people, giving people, are much happier people. I don't know if you know that, but if you want to know, it's statistically proven that if you're generous and you give, you'll end up being happier. There's, there's kind of a weird link. I don't know what makes it work. It just is. And as you practice giving, something else will happen. It will free you up from this idea and this weight that we... Most of us carry around, at least for part of our life, that our self-worth and our value is tied to the size of our bank balance. And it isn't. And God wants to free us of that. So, let's get on to the other three. The habits or disciplines of abstinence. 
Things designed to set you free of stuff that you want to stop doing, get out of your life. Here's the first one. This, 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 sorry girls, but this one is probably something us guys will respond to with enthusiasm. This is the first one. Silence and solitude. I don't, I don't know. For, for those who uh, have been doing life with, and, and you don't understand this urge in a guy that he just needs some time to himself. It, it's inbuilt. We are wired like these girls. It's not because we don't love you or don't like you. It's because we just, we, for some reason, men have more of a desire for silence and solitude than girls. I don't know. That's probably sexist. I'm probably going to get loads of offended comments coming over the internet now. But it, it's just a fact. It's a reality. And so why, why, why do we want silence and solitude? Well, how many of you think life has just gone crazy? Just like, it needs, it needs to stop and slow down, doesn't it? You know, the world and everything, just it's on all the time. It, there's so much noise out there. You know, it, your kids just don't stop, do they? I, I don't know. My kids don't stop and they're grown up. Like, I, I'm, you still, oh, all this stuff going on around you. It's like there's this low hum of anxiety and energy sapping that goes on all day. And I don't think it's just me. I think, I think we're all experiencing that. And so God gives us this tool, this habit, to heal us of that and set us free. And it's called silence and solitude. It's inserting a few moments of getting away from all that stuff. You know, what do I do? Well, here's what I do for my silence and solitude. I turn my phone off and leave it in a different room so I can't turn it back on again. I silence notifications on my laptop and my iPad and all the rest of it. I turn off music. I dim the lights a bit. And I sit in my comfy man cave. And I just get with God. And I be myself. I just, we, we are, whether, whoever we are, wherever we are on a journey, it's really important that we have this place and this time when we can be silent and just still with God. And, it, and, it, and you can't just switch this stuff off really quickly. You, you know, you kind of have to wait and, and just relax and, and let it get out of your head in that silence until there's just you and God. And here's the thing that I've noticed. That if you're going to do this, even if you're a guy, you feel a bit uncomfortable about it. Because we've been trained in our generation that music and noise equals comfort. Now, you're going like, where's that? How do you... Okay, you try next time going into a restaurant that doesn't have music playing. And you're going to say one thing after five minutes, there's just no atmosphere in this place. It's so dead in this restaurant. Because we've been trained... From there be, to be noise and music all the time, in elevators, in shops. Man, 
I hate rap music, but shops insist on playing all this stuff to me all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm just delighting in this break from rap music and stuff that I don't like for Christmas music. It's, it's kind of like, oh, it's God's, God's moment. A whole, whole month without having to listen to stuff being played all the time. But we have learned that makes us comfortable. We've been taught you should feel comfortable with this, so we associate it with comfort. And so it can be uncomfortable getting the hang of silence. Isn't that bizarre? But it is. And in that moment, you're not trying to impress anybody. You don't have to impress anybody. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to try and be anybody. You don't even have to accomplish anything. You just have to be. Number two. Sabbath. God put that there for a reason. For the more observant of you, not today because it should, but you will have noticed that everything seems to have migrated to Sundays. Sport has migrated to Sundays. Kids' parties have migrated to Sundays. They used to be after school. Look, like when you're already out with the car to take them there. But now they're on Sundays. Everything's moved to Sundays because Saturdays is for doing other things. So Sabbath has disappeared in our culture. And the, the big challenge for us as believers is that we need the Sabbath. We need time to be with other believers. We need time where we say, that's God's day. That's God's. I, I'm going to be there. Because we've been in this long enough to know that if you don't teach your kids that they need to be in church on Sundays, and you bring them on Sundays then the real challenge is they ain't going to be there when they're 14 and 15 unless you force them to come. And by the time they're 18, because you've been forcing them, they're not coming. We need to model when they're young that the Sabbath is important. There's a, something, I find it really sad. It's kind of one of those, you know, like people write, read articles and they go, well, that's just the way it is now. Adapt. So there's these people that study churches and they study churches um, and obviously there's been a lot written about what's happened post lockdown to churches and there's an article I read a, a little not long ago but it's, it basically said if your congregation is stable on a Sunday morning in numbers you're actually growing but because people somehow there's something Culturally, it's happened to believers where they will not come that often. So, so according to this article, it, somebody viewed themselves as, or the, the typical response people now get is, I'm a regular and committed member of my church and I go once a month. 
Now, if everybody thinks like that, it's impossible to do church. Plus, there's, there's, there's some mornings that you guys will turn up to church, and if, if a lot of us are thinking like that, you're going to go, man, there's nobody here. Because we forgot how important Sabbath is. So it's really important, really key. And we, you see, its value is it makes today the Sabbath different from the other six days. How many of you heard that thing, a change is as good as a rest? It, it does something to you that makes the rest of the li- your life, rest of the week, better. Because it's different. And so... It also breaks something. Remember, these are abstinent sins. What does it break? It breaks the rat race, and it breaks people-pleasing. To be here, you've had to take decisions, maybe not today, but generally, that you're not going to please other people because you're not going to be where they are. So that's what it does. And basically, it will transform your week. Okay, I'm going to get on to the really, really unpopular one now, which we're going to do in January. And this is the last one, fasting. Fasting. I mean, one of the things that is kind of really popular whenever you bring the topic of fasting up is people will tell you what fasting is not for. Until you wonder, like, what is it for? It's not to do this. It's not to persuade God to do something. It's not to do that. And I agree, it's none of those things. You can fast all sorts of things. You can fast social media. You can fast the internet. You can fast TV. Uh, Roger fasted caffeine and, you know, all sorts of things. Biblically, fasting is about food. I'm not, not knocking all those things. I, I, I fasted social media last January, and, and it was fantastic. It was so freeing. I felt, like, happier. By about the 5th of January, I was so happy because I wasn't listening to all this miserable arguing that people do with each other and knocking each other. And it, it was positive. But biblically, fasting is about food. And the question then is, so why should I fast? Why should I do that? Not because Mark told me, or we're all doing it as a church, so let's do what everybody else is doing. That's not the point. Fasting's there for a reason. And even if it's not for spiritual reason, which it is, you should know by now that there's enough stuff flying around that proves and shows you fasting's actually got health benefits. So even if you don't do fasting for even a spiritual reason, people should fast. People are doing fasting, aren't they? I don't know. Two days off, five days off. I don't know what they are. I'm not doing it. So here's the other thing that they've shown. Fasting social media and fasting the internet has mental health benefits. What I think the biggest problem we have amongst 20 to 30-year-olds in Cambridge is mental health. And that's not that's not just... Kids who've grown up here, that's university students as well. 
mental health is a big issue. And a lot of the problem is this comparison that comes up because of social media. So fasting social media helps your mental health. But when we get spiritual, they're actually spiritual points, by the way. But when you, you, you look at what they did in, in Jesus' time and before Jesus' time and after Jesus, fasting has a great benefit because it's about denying your appetites. Now, here's the point. We all have appetites for something. We, we can have appetites for uh, TV watching. We can have uh, appetites for approval. We can have an appetite for, I need attention. I'm not getting enough attention. We can have appetites for stuff. We can have appetites for power. We can have appetites for control. We can have appetites for sex. We can have appetites for pleasure. The list of appetites is almost endless. Appetites can control your life. You can be addicted to these appetites. Now, when you became born again, you were given the Holy Spirit. So the spirit of self-control is in you. So when we learn to fast of something, we learn with food. It's like a training ground. And it works because it releases and grows our self-control so we can deal with the other appetites which otherwise have control of us. It's a control breaker. And it's a really powerful one. And so we fast to learn and let the Holy Spirit show our hearts self-control and strengthen our hearts in self-control so we can get free of other stuff. It's a self-control training ground. That's why we do it. That's why it's in there. It's not in there to make you miserable that you have not had chocolate for two weeks. It's there to break controls in your life. And we all have an appetite for something in our life that we wish we had less of an appetite for. And that's what it's about. So in fasting food, you're de developing this really strong ability to say no. No to that appetite. Because I think we all know that being controlled by an appetite doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead to joy. It doesn't lead to peace. And that's why we want those things out. And that's why God designed that. I think, and I might be wrong, but I think every single one of us could do with more of an ability to say no to something. And that, that's what fasting's about. Fasting will do something else as well. This is like the last point. So if the worship team want to come back up, it would be fantastic. Here's the other thing that fasting will do. Fasting will surface things in you that you aren't even aware of. And in surfacing those, surfacing those things, it will make room 
in your life for God to heal those things. Fasting has this remarkable ability to surface stuff that has nothing to do with food. Somehow, it makes us rawer in our emotions and our understanding of ourselves. And when we get to that place, it gives God the opportunity to help us and give us life, to give us confidence, to give us health, to give us freedom. So that's my cliffhanger. That's, that's the answer to the cliffhanger. These six things. As I said at the start, my goal is not to make you an expert on any one of them. My goal this morning is simply that you've got one or two that you're going to go and action. Pick your one or two. Prefer, pick all six, but start with one or two. Something that you're going to put in that's going to change your life. Something you're going to put in that I tell you will make your life better. In, tw in 12 months' time, you'll be glad you took this decision this morning. You'll be glad you chose to do one of these things. Amen. Let's stand. Father, I thank you. I praise you. I thank you that you are so good. That you give us these things so that we can step into your fullness. You give us these things in order to make our life better for us. And I thank you, Lord that you help us as we walk them out. Amen.